Agents Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Espresso Agent. The key to success in real estate is confidence, especially when it comes time to call prospects. Espresso Agent gives you that confidence with the best for sale by owners and expired contacts delivered directly to your inbox seven days a week. Up to 90% of our contacts have phone numbers and the most cell phone numbers on the market. Every day, you can dial with confidence when you dial with Espresso Agent. Visit EspressoAgent.com forward slash agents. Welcome back, Lab Code Nation. In this week's episode of the Lab Code Agents podcast, I had the opportunity to talk with Michael Burke, author, coach, motivational speaker, and all-around incredible man who will inspire you to be better. Michael has lived with cystic fibrosis for almost 50 years and gives us insight into mindset, drive, gratitude, and personal motivation that leads to living your best life. This podcast is for anyone seeking to accomplish anything in 2020, and you will certainly walk away inspired by Michael's journey and with ideas for living your best life. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Lab Coat Agents podcast. I've got a unique one today because it's uh, only happened one other time where I've interviewed someone live. It was at the Lab Coat Agent live event in San Diego. One of my heroes in real estate, Sharon Srivatsa. Uh, but today, we are going to take a little step backwards from real estate, or maybe sideways, or maybe it's forward, I don't know. But this is great timing to have this guest on. I would say a la Hal Elrod, who also had really nothing to do with real estate, but just has a really inspirational story. And because we're at the end of the year, beginning of a new year, it's time for New Year's resolutions. It's time to live a better life in 2020. And for anybody who uh, has any complaints or uh, any challenges or anything in life that they think is hard, you need to listen to this podcast because it's going to challenge you. Uh, so ladies and gentlemen, let me welcome to the show, Mr. Michael Burke, author of Waiting to Die, Running to Live, also a, an, a newfound career uh, in coaching called Live Bold Coaching, and also, oh, by the way, he's been living with cystic fibrosis his whole life. I'm going to let him tell his story on why he shouldn't even be sitting here today. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. Good to see you again. You as well. You as well. So, yeah. so let's just go straight to this. I've already teased it. Tell the audience about your story and why you shouldn't be here today. And then let's give them some inspiration. Yeah. Uh, well, by the numbers and by what doctors would have said and the patient experience of cystic fibrosis in 1971, when I was diagnosed as a one-year-old, I'm not supposed to be around. So uh, cystic fibrosis is a genetic uh, lung disease, and uh, it also impacts the digestive system. So my lungs are constantly attacked by uh, germs. And then my pancreas doesn't work. My digestive system doesn't work. So it's this is a whole mess, right? Uh, and in 1971, when I was diagnosed as a, as a one-year-old, the life expectancy was like five. And I, they were, I was just, it was grim. But my parents, they didn't see it that way, right? They, they knew what the general life expectancy was, but they were going to give me as much of a life as, as they could. So um, fortunately, my body responded to the medicine pretty well as a child, and uh, I was able to digest food, although it was a bit of a struggle. My lungs 
cleared up after many rounds of uh, pneumonia. Uh, once I got on the medicine, it, it, things changed for me. So we, we actually all started living a little longer. So by the time I was five, the life expectancy was seven. When I was seven, it was nine. And it went on like this for quite a while. And I didn't know I had this thing as a kid. I, I took somewhere between five and 10,000 pills a year to digest food. And the therapy at the time to clear this stuff out of my lungs, uh, my father would lay me across his lap and clap on my chest, my back and my sides to jar this stuff so I could get it out. Mm -hmm. And I just never thought about how different that was because that was my existence. Right. And my friends didn't ever ask about it. Teachers, other parents, like I didn't know I was different. And, uh, but when you get to be a teenager, you, you know, you're different, right. you know, and, and I never knew anything about a life expectancy until I was 15, 16. They, so they sheltered that from you. It, it, they just didn't talk about it. Sure. I don't know if it was a shelter thing. You know, listen, my parents are from that generation where you just don't talk about stuff. Sure. And I, I just don't think it was talked about. And I played soccer and baseball and my buddies just didn't care. They never asked. Right. Uh, so I just, I never thought about it. And, but you have a story and, and I've heard it. So I've listened to Michael speak and I had him on a, a, another podcast prior, prior to this one, um, taking on lab coats. You have stories from your childhood where like your brothers were playing football or something in the yard. Uh, tell that, tell that story. Yeah. So my, my parent, you know, you asked about my parents sheltering me. They did shelter me from what they thought would be dangerous for me. So the doctors told him, hey, listen, he's susceptible to germs and those germs could kill him. And uh, there's ample evidence for that within the community. So it was like a, a November day in Missouri. So it was overcast and somewhere 40, 45 degrees and misting a little bit, like pure germ weather, right? So my three older brothers and all the neighborhood kids were outside in our backyard playing backyard football, mm -hmm. which just meant kill the kid with the football until he fumbles it. And then the next idiot picks it up and, you know, repeat. Of course. So this is all going on out in the backyard. And I wasn't out there. I was looking through the glass door wanting to be out there, but my parents wouldn't let me out with the germy kids and the mud and the rain and the cold and uh, watching me watch the action was my dad. And it, it was overwhelming for him. He couldn't, he couldn't watch me missing out on life anymore. And he said, Michael, go get ready. So, you know, like a crazed man, I get on my clothes, my winter clothes and mom bundles me up and my dad opens the, you know, one of those old, glass sliding doors and I shoot out into that melee like there's no rules right it's kill the kid with the football right. so I go running into the pile and before I even get into the melee one of the older boys just crushes me hmm. right just stiff arm or shoulder whatever and I I go down into the mud uh into the wet germy stuff and my dad he this is him telling the story. He opened the door to come save his sick boy, right? Because all he could think of was how bad this was. Sure. And through the years, he's told this story. 
And uh, people would always ask, Jack, what did you do next? You know, you open the door and Michael's on the, in the mud. What did you do? He said, well, Michael got up like all the boys and he went in for more abuse and he closed the door and he said, I, I never watched Michael like that again because he knew that if he hovered, I guess would be, you know, something people could understand that I would never live the life of a, a little boy, much less grow up to be a man who was independent and successful. So um, I maintain that that was like the moment where I got this adventurous spirit because he, he had concerns and mom and dad had concerns when, when I did things that we'll talk about, but they let me, they let me or encouraged me do that. Crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. So you you mentioned taking all these pills. Uh, give give the audience um, an idea of what to this day, uh, how many pills you take on a daily and monthly and annual basis. Yeah. So yearly, I take thirteen thousand three hundred and forty pills a year. Thirteen thousand three hundred and thirty. Uh, three thirteen three forty. Three forty. Okay. Oh. Roughly thirty two to thirty six a day. Jeez. I don't know if I take that many in an entire year. I know. <laughs> entire lifetime for, for most. Well, I mean, the, the daily one. I don't know that I take that in an entire year. Uh, yeah, crazy. yeah. So, I mean, imagine yourself, you're a kid, and you have to take that, those pills. Sure. It's really hard. Only 50% of people who take medicine take all of it. Like, it's a real, yeah, real challenge within uh, the medical community, that only 50% of the people take the medicine as prescribed. And this is not unlike our business challenges, right? right? It's actually the same issue. People just aren't doing what they need to do to maximize their opportunity. Mm -hmm. So that's how I kind of got interested in all this from a business side. I, try, I was looking for ways for me to take all that medicine on a high level. Cause that's just the pills. I have to do 500 hours of therapy every year doing breathing treatments and sitting in a vest. Like my dad used to have to thump on me. Well, now I have to sit in a vest that vibrates and that'll do the same thing. And then I have to exercise. So I'm looking for ways. How do I highly engage in this stuff? But yeah, 13,000 pills a year. So I have to ask what, you know, you've, we've talked before and I don't know if anybody else knows this as far as the life expectancy, but like you would tell me in the past when we've talked, it's like, okay, when I was five, it was now seven. When I was seven, it jumped to 10. When it was 10, it jumped to 12. Where is it today? Like where, where is cystic fibrosis disease and what is it doing? Starting where we were when I was born till now, it's really exciting, but it's still only 41, 42 years old. And you are? 50. In one month, I'll be 50. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Like all the gray hair and, and all that, I'm so happy for. <laughs> <laughs> Literally never thought I would experience my 40s, much less 50s and 60s. And that's what we're looking at. So when you got to the point when you actually understood what the heck was going on, what age was that? Uh, I think 15, 16 years old. And the, kind of that whole year I was discovering and and coming to grips with the fact that the life expectancy was 18 and there was not one single adult who was alive. Like, think about that as a you kid. you were a teenager, there was not one single adult alive with cystic. Correct. Wow. Think about that. 
Yeah, that's crazy. It really, it so, really affected so me. If, I'm just thinking out loud here, and I can't exactly put myself in that sh- in those shoes. But I'm thinking to myself, if that happened to me, I'm gonna just go balls to the wall, right, and party and get in trouble and do whatever I could do to live life, right? Yeah, yeah. What'd you do? Um, I became apathetic. Like I didn't. I partied like every normal teenager and. You know, I drink beer and stuff, but I, I never rebelled. I didn't, I didn't hit those buttons. My button was, what's the point of trying? So I wasn't a great student to begin with, but there was this whole thing like, man, I'm not going to be alive to go to college. So why I even try, hmm. right? If geometry is hard, why try? Yeah. So if it wasn't fun, adventurous, or made me money, I did like to work. I worked at a golf course. It was fun. Uh, I didn't do it and had no interest in doing it. So that, that became a real challenge later because I eventually had to go to college or wanted to. And uh, I, I kind of had to start over. <laughs> yeah, you learned a lesson. I did. So, so was that a challenge? Because one thing that we haven't touched on here and a lot of the people listening are parents. I'm a parent and you know I've had a, a, a wide range of emotions just in this conversation of, gosh, to think of my child being diagnosed and having this life expectancy, then then fast forwarding to my high school years when you don't even bother trying, but at the same token, the realist in me would say, I can't really blame them. You know what I mean? But how did they, how did they kind of um, adapt to that? This is where my parents struggled. I didn't know it at the time, but they were allowing me to coast a little bit because they kind of had those same fears that I did. Like they didn't know how long I would be around. So they just wanted me to be a happy kid. I don't think they made a lot of mistakes growing up. I mean, my parents were really good and I love them dearly, um, but they let me slide. They treated me different than my older brothers. Mm-hmm. That kind of that kind of passivity didn't happen with the other three. Yeah. A lot was demanded of them. You know, they, they were to be good students mm-hmm. and, and try hard in the sports they played. I got that break and that didn't serve me well. But they did so many other good things that it kind of made up for it. How did that impact your relationship with your brothers? I would think that there would be a little bit of spite. Um, I've asked them about it, right? When I was write, writing the book, I wanted to get into their mind, and they just never really thought about it. Hmm. Their, their role, their self-appointed role was to protect me. And, you know, if anyone was going to fight Mike Burke, they had to fight my three brothers. <laughs> If they were going to tease Mike Burke for being little or coughing, which is normal in my condition, yeah, they would have to go through all the Burke boys. So no, there was there wasn't. Um, at least that they told me. That's good. Yeah, that's good. So now let's fast forward ahead, and and you know the title of your book, "Waiting to Die, Running to Live." Obviously, this leads into an inspirational story of not only having to just survive and not sure what, what, you know, when, uh, you know, if you're going to have next year, right now, here we are at the end of another year. Yeah. You're, you're making it to 2020, which is, which is awesome. And probably going to live uh, now. I've known you for a couple of years now and it feels like oh, this is a normal dude. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, and, but, but you, you know, you, I know you've done some, some, you know, like ultra athlete stuff when it comes to running, you just completed something with biking, which we'll get to. Um, so talk a little bit about that. Like what led to the running because, and I'm passionate about this and most of the audience who knows me or knows me on a personal level knows that I'm very passionate about uh, fitness and setting really big goals because it carries into your, not only your personal life and your family and your faith, 
uh, but also into your professional life. And that discipline that you can create by being healthy and by being in good shape and setting big goals carries through your life. It does. I'm yes. telling you right now, it does. And you, you're another testament. That's why you and I have a connection. Yeah. Right? Um, and so from your perspective, because my story is just, I'm just a dude. You're more than just a dude. <laughs> and so what led you to the running and, and, and what have you accomplished? So growing up, one of the best ways to clear this stuff out of the lungs was to be active. So the doctors from when I was little, let Michael play baseball, basketball, football, whatever he can play, let him play. Because that moving air through the lungs makes you cough when you have cystic fibrosis. So coughing is the way to get the stuff out. So I always had a, I always played soccer and baseball and backyard football. Uh, but in college, I lost all that because I really had to study hard, right? And I didn't have time for other things. And then I just kind of lost it in my 20s. I was really focused on career. I moved to six cities in five years. I became the youngest director of sales for Omni Hotels. I liked working hard and I didn't mind the hours, but when I got promoted to the director of sales, four-star hotel was beautiful. I, I loved what I was doing. Uh, I had let my body run down too far. I was avoiding the worst thing, cystic fibrosis. I didn't want to think about it, so I avoided it as much as possible. And I couldn't stop avoiding it because I, really, I got really sick. And the decision was, do I continue this lifestyle I've built and like, or do I face the thing that's the hardest thing to face? And that's when I made the switch. I stopped waiting for the worst things to happen because I'm 30 years old at the time and the life expectancy is now 28. <laughs> it's been flipped. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm dead, <laughs> right? According to the numbers, sure. I'm, I'm beyond that life expectancy. And, and instead of that freaking me out, that got me real focused. Like, ah, I've been wasting time waiting for bad things to happen. And other than me not taking care of my body, I'm a healthy guy and I'm successful and, you know, doing okay with the ladies. You know, all my fears were just not happening. So I actually moved back home to St. Louis and got focused on my health, like the 800 pound gorilla in the room. And part of that refocus was to start running because that constant jarring of running and moving of the air made me cough a lot. And it was frustrating for a while, don't get me wrong. I coughed so hard, I threw up. Like you, you get caught there and you can't get it out. So I kept at it because I could feel my lungs getting better. I started gaining weight. And uh, so I like challenges. And this, you know, running a couple miles a day, it just wasn't exciting or interesting. So I thought, what's the gosh darn hardest thing that I think I could do? And I'd been, I had some friends who were marathoners and I thought, I wonder if I could run 26.2 miles without stopping as fast as I can. And from, I went up and watched my sister-in-law run a marathon in Chicago and watching people finish that race puking and cramping and falling down. I was like, I want that. <laughs> I did, Jeff. I wanted that to give everything. You know, I didn't want to puke and fall down. I wanted to give everything. And I, I started training for my first marathon. 
That's awesome. And and by the way, that's not exactly how every marathon ends. I've run one too. Um, and actually, surprisingly uh, to me, and this is a little off topic, but when you run that kind of distance, which by the way, is it, it's inspiring to yourself. It makes you feel good. Believe it or not, it really is. It's really amazing if you can achieve something like that. Uh, but once you got to like past the half marathon phase, um, it just literally becomes one foot in front of another. And you almost don't want to stop because you get a rhythm going. Yeah. You get a breathing rhythm, you get a leg rhythm, you get every, you get a, your arm rhythm, everything. And um, I remember being at mile 22 or something thinking, man, I probably could go for 30, you know, and that's not for everybody. But at the same token, it was it was it was interesting. It was awesome. It's like a a vortex that draws you in that that finish line at 26. You're like, you just it draws you. I, I don't know how else to explain it, but it sucks you in. And it's really like any big goal. It, it's scary in the beginning. You don't know. And then you go through those times where you don't feel like doing it like there's no motivation and you kind of grind a little bit and then all of a sudden when you see it that it's remotely possible it starts drawing you in and then the closer and closer you get it gets faster and faster i would agree and and when it comes to running like you you even said it it, a lot of people and people say this well i'm not made for running which is false uh anatomically we as a species are designed for distance running. That's too. exactly right. Not yeah. even speed running. We're designed for, for uh, distance running. So anybody thinking right now, that's not me. I'm not telling you to go out and run. There's other things you can do, but you should get in shape. You should improve your lifestyle. But when it comes to running, like to me, it was a great, and this is a, a absolutely perfect time for a plug, great time to listen to podcasts. I mean, it's just so many things you do when you're when you're running or exercising, when you're doing exercise that is longer distance, that's over time. It gives you like it's your best thinking time. And so I encourage, again, anybody listening who's in real estate, you know, we have flexible schedules. Find your thing, whether it's running or an elliptical or the Stairmaster or biking, which I want to get to next um, and find your thing and realize that you can actually use that time to 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 cover two you know kill two birds with one stone and um it's pretty awesome yeah i uh in the end i i ran nine full marathons 20 half marathons i coached marathoners through fleet feet sports attempted an ironman and after all that happened i'm speaking to a a coach he's he's a phd psychiatrist now turned coach he's like tell me about this marathoning mike so i was telling him everything i thought i gained and he said, can I ask a couple of questions? I said, well, yeah. He said, were you running with others? And I said, not for the first three marathons. That was all alone time. He said, okay. Did you like always wear long sleeves and a hat and long you know, pants? I'm like, uh, no, I wore as little as possible, right? He said, oh, good, okay. What he, and what he was getting at is... All of that alone time, now I didn't run with music either. It was just myself in the road. It was, I was thinking the whole time, solving my problems, working out the things that didn't go right, celebrating the things that did go right. So I was solving my CF problems, my life issues rapidly and constructively because your brain's getting a heavy dose of positive chemicals as you're exercising. Uh, And then the clothing thing, 
He said, you know, vitamin D, which is produced by the sun, uh, is a mood lifter. And I, had no, I didn't know that before. So there's so many benefits to being outside and active, whatever that activity is, as you said. Yeah. I, I just thought it was amazing, though, all that quiet time that I was giving myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, so we uh, led to biking and you just did something else that was extraordinary. Tell, tell the audience about that. Yeah. So well, I'm not unaffected by cystic fibrosis. My lungs have about 30, 30% of my lungs are destroyed. Just the constant infections, the scarring of the, they're gone. So I'm operating on somewhere between 60 and 70% lung capacity. Like 30% of my ability to breathe is gone. I don't digest food without 13,000 pills a year. And I lose electrolytes at astronomical rates. So, so part of my condition is I lose a lot of salt in my sweat, which contains electrolytes. So I have three really big handicaps when it comes to exercise. And all that was kind of impacting me. I stopped running for some mechanical issues, right? I had a hip surgery and I've got a little arthritis in my back. So running is not the best option for me anymore, just mechanically. And then my lungs are a little messy. And I thought, you know, I, I still don't want to be sedentary. And I, I want to challenge myself to something I like, but is a real challenge. And in 2018, I was in the hospital twice bad lung infections. I have a port in my chest now that delivers um, antibiotics, potent, potent antibiotics. And coming out of that, I made a promise that I would not be back in that hospital for at least a year. And that would break a seven-year trend. I just wasn't going back, right? And I didn't have control over that, but I had influence. And part of that was getting back on the bicycle and doing what I could do. So in 2018, I rode about 1,800 miles, which is not insignificant, especially being as sick as I was, but it wasn't enough. So I thought, I thought, huh, there's this guy I met. His name's Jeff Fitzer, and he just ran. How long did you run that year? Two, well, it was 2018 and 2018, but I did 2035. That's what I thought. And I said, well, I like what Jeff's doing. And Jeff actually had a big spreadsheet that I saw tracking his miles. And I thought, I'm going for 3,000 miles. Not quite double what I did this year, but it would be more than I've ever bicycled. I'm 49 years old with cystic fibrosis. I'm right. All that started piling up in my head. And I created this big spreadsheet, yes, just like did. you had yes, done. You and I mapped out the whole year. How many miles per month do I need to do? What's the weekly breakdown to get 3,000 miles? How many months you know, I don't want to cycle in December. So I had to figure all that out. So I made this huge plan and um, I started January one on the trainer, you know, in the house and pounding out miles. And on, uh, I forget the exact date, but it was mid November. I hit 3000. I, it was interesting. I, you know, there was a month and a half where I just didn't feel good at all. My lungs were in bad shape for whatever reason. And then my belly stop digesting food. Like it all got like a basketball in my belly. We had to clear all that out. And after that dip, I started feeling good again. And I had 800 miles to go in like three months. And that's a lot. And I just got laser focused again and pounded out 800 miles in like six weeks. That's awesome. Did you, did you hear that? So before you go on, 
you know, again, we all want to achieve greater things every year. It's personal, it's professional, it's, it's physical. And, and the things that stop us are, damn it, I'm tired. Or, you know what, I, my family's driving me nuts. I have stress at home. I have stress at work. Or I have a pulled muscle, right? So again, <laughs> your problems uh, are not very insignificant in comparison to someone who uh, has 60 to 70% lung capacity and can stomach digestion system can just quit on him. It's crazy. Yeah. It's awesome. So, you know, and all this is going on trying to build a business too. So, so earlier, Jeff, you said what's good for that physical routine bleeds over and it, it did because when I was going through this thing, like, I, can't, I think I could do 3000 miles. I was thinking about my coaching business and I was thinking, I think I could exponentially grow that too. And as laser focused as I got on 3000 bicycling miles, I did for live bold coaching. I put live bold on my license plate. I did the LLC as live bold coaching instead of something less powerful, sure. you know, which people are like, Oh, live bold. I don't know, Mike. I'm like, Nope, this is it. And how everything started blossoming, how that energy I was putting out was attracting that person, that person who wants to be bold or is and wants to be more bold or isn't and would like to be more bold. It, whatever, whatever they saw, it was attracting that right client for me. And then riding 3,000 miles, you were an inspiration. And actually, a friend of mine rode his bicycle from Oklahoma City to St. Louis in six days. And I sagged him, right? I drove the car and made sure he had his food and all that. And every, every mile I'm in the car going, man, I want to do this. I want to be out there with him. But I just wasn't having a good year. I couldn't do it. Uh, so I got myself surrounded by people that made me think bigger. Uh, That's powerful. And we talk about this all the time on a professional level. We've interviewed people about mastermind groups. And you, know, you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. And surround yourself with people that are smarter, more successful, and just better than you. And it lifts you up. And that is the best advice I can ever give anybody in business. Um, and and it, obviously, it's the same in, in, this, in this arena as well. It, it totally is. Um, and I, like people would say to me, like in the cystic fibrosis community, people say, oh, I want you to talk to my daughter or you want to talk to my son or I'd like to talk with you. And people are, will say, oh, well, Mike's intimidating to me because of all the marathons and the success. I'm like, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. I couldn't be more of a knucklehead, right? Like terrible student. I had to work really hard. And like, I couldn't imagine why anybody would be intimidated by my accomplishments. That's, and I've experienced, I honestly, I've experienced that before. Like, oh, I don't think I could do that. Mm -hmm. But it was my shift back in the day. Like, oh, I think I could do that. Instead of letting other people's success create doubt in my mind, I let it create possibilities. It's a mindset. It it's, is. It's 100% a mindset. Your, your, your mind is controlling everything. And it's, um, it's just like going back to the, the big goal that I had. And frankly, I don't know how many people know this. Maybe a lot don't even know about the goal, which was to run 2018 and 2018. And the, it was driven not by 
fitness. I was already a pretty, in pretty well shape. I've been in good shape most of my life. Luckily, good genes. Luckily, uh, a family of runners, a family of fitness people. Um, but I did it to create media. And, and so as a real estate agent and a real estate and the real estate profession, I figured I felt like, and as a leader, I'm in a, in a leadership role, I needed to inspire. And so, and I wanted to do it without cramming business down people's throat. Like everybody instinctively says, I closed X number of deals last year. I did X number of volume, X number of units. I have this many awards. Nobody cares. But then you tell them you're going to do something inspirational and all of a sudden they start to gravitate to it and grab hold of it. And I think a lot of people who've stuck with this podcast thought, all right, this is a great story. This has no relevance to my business. You're wrong. It does. It has everything to do with your business. And uh, I hope that's it's kind of a light bulb moment for some, uh, which has now led you, though, because you are you're more inspirational than most. Right. Let's just let's just cut through it. You are. Um, but you're an inspiration, not not an intimidation. Right. It's you. What you've done proves that you can do anything. Your body's capable of far more. What is the Navy SEAL rule that when you when your mind says you're done, your body actually has 60 percent left in the tank? I think that's the stat. Or you're at 60 percent. You have 40 percent, whatever it is, something like that. Think about that. When your mind says you're in the gym and your mind says you're done, you think you're done or you're out running and you're out biking. Your body actually has 60% more left in the tank. So it's your, you're letting your mind control you. So when you can't make that extra call, that extra prospecting call, or when you're intimidated to go you know, knock on doors as a real estate agent, again, don't let your mind get in the way. Just keep powering through because the best of the best, that's, they, they figure it out, right? They do. And they figure out, well, they, one of the big shifts is going from I should to I want. So all those years growing up, Michael, you should take medicine. And well, I don't like anybody telling me what to do. So it felt restrictive and I, I didn't want to be restricted. I should, I should, I should. It was more duty and responsibility. And I didn't like that. When I went to want, I want to take the medicine because it gets me the ability to run and run something that only 1% of the population will do. Only 1% of the population will run a marathon, that's crazy. which I, I didn't know when I went into it, but that's incredible. It's actually even less than 1%, but we'll round it up. So for me, the want is actually beyond running. The want is to do something bold, something that other people don't do. That's my motivation. That's why I've, I tried the Ironman. One half of 1% of the population will run an Ironman. I hiked 145 miles over 12 days in the wilderness of Missouri because I didn't know anybody that did that. So I'm always stretching for that thing that oh, other people don't like to do. That's my motivation for all of it. That's why I want to create a coaching practice that is really different from the rest. So I should make money but I want something else, right? I want something much more impactful. And when you can shift to the want, now you have something powerful. And it shouldn't be an avoidance one. What they've discovered is the long-term pursuit of an avoidance goal creates depression. Say that again. The long-term pursuit of an avoidance goal creates depression. Here's the example. I don't want to die. Versus, I want to live 
a freaking amazing life. No matter what my time is, I don't care. I want, I want it all. I want love. I want, I want support. I want to give. I want to make impact and meaning and money. I want all that instead of avoiding something. Sure. And the solutions are real different, aren't they? Very. The, the solution to avoid something is very different from the solution to achieve something. That makes sense. Yeah. And it's like fearing something drives you to the depression. Yes. In a way. Absolutely. Because you're thinking about avoiding the worst things, right? Wait, I was waiting to die. The title of the book. I was waiting for the worst things to happen. And in that, it, it did compel me to do some cool things like hike 14,000 foot mountains and move around the country. And, uh, but that didn't last. And what happened? I let my body go. And I could have died from that versus that pursuit. Now I'm pursuing positive things. And I have been for 20 years now. Yeah, that's really awesome. And that's, that's like a cup half full, cup half empty mindset, right? Mm -hmm. You can look at any, any situation and say, is the cup half full or is the cup half empty? And I always find myself saying that to people. It's like, there's a way to look at this to where the cup's full and not, or half full and not half empty. And it's all in how you want to perceive it. It's all how you want to look at it. And, and you're right, because, and, and again, those of you listening to this, I, I know uh, there's some of you looking in the, the, the mirror, maybe not there's an actual mirror, but the, you're looking in the mirror right now and you're thinking to yourself, damn it, they're right. I need to get in shape. And you're not even in Michael's shoes where like you literally are concerned about what is your life expectancy. I mean, we just had a good real estate friend of ours die this year. His name was Larry Wolf. He was overweight. There's just no way to describe it. Way overweight. And, and personally, I had become good friends with him. And I was mad at myself for not getting to know him better and pushing him to be healthier. Uh, I know it's not my fault, right? But, but at the same token, I know there's a lot of you listening right now. And even one of my best friends teases me all the time about my big goals saying, you know, because I also have these little side goals where we give up foods and we give up things you don't need in your body. And everyone's like, well, life's too short. You should enjoy it. I don't disagree. And I'm just doing it honestly. Uh, for the challenge, number one, two, to create media, because it's fun. People will enjoy this. Yeah. It entertains them. But at the same token, I always tell them, look, I'll take my chances. Like I'll take my chances living a healthy lifestyle because I'd rather have a few extra years and I'd rather hopefully have a few extra years where I can be active. Like I don't want good be, years. Yes, that's it. Not just years. Correct. Good years. Correct. And you, I'm <laughs> thinking to myself, 80s, 90s, you're thinking to yourself, I can't even imagine daily annually right i mean annually yeah that's crazy it's 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 insane which is why i think of the draw because you know it's obviously we we think a lot alike we just come from different backgrounds well different motivations right yeah. and in every what i was trying to get at with that bold motivation is everybody's is different as a coach it's my job to get to jeff's motivation not mine right because i do what one percent of the people do i know it's no one likes to run, yeah. right? Correct. Almost no one. Almost so not. I can't encourage people to run. We got to find what they want. And in, in business, what is their want? Why, why are they in this real estate thing at all? Is it to make money? That's the surface thing, right? We, we have to figure out what that money gets them and yeah. what else is there. Is there meaning and impact and happiness I know way too many really successful people who are divorced three times, yeah. don't know their kids or their kids hate them, literally hate them. 
And I, at the, and that came in the pursuit of only money. And I'm telling you, I've seen my life expectancy many times. It is in front of my face. Mm -hmm. So mortality. And I know whenever I go, uh, I'm, I'm going to go a happy dude, a fulfilled guy who brought great impact and who provided for his family. <clears throat> you don't want to get to that point and look back and say, I've missed everything. I think that's the positive gift that I had to experience that I can give to others. When I turned 30, I thought, man, if I go today, I've done, I've lived a great life because I lived adventure and, you know, traveled the country. And, and then at 40, I was like, man, if I went today, I lived a great life, the marathons, the Ironmans, the business success, the giving back to the CF community and others. And now I'm 50 and I'm looking back on my forties. I'm like, man, I, I don't want to go right. I'm going to keep fighting and taking the medicine and, and living big, but I have, I don't have a regret. And, and that I think is the biggest gift I want to give the audience is, man, don't be afraid to live fully, like fully. Yeah. So has the, uh, the CF foundation just kind of like thrown their hands up in the air with you and said, uh, to hell with life expectancies, this guy just <laughs> broke the book. <laughs> well, it's been super cool. Uh, CF has been in the news a lot. You know, that movie five feet apart that came out over the summer. I haven't seen it, but yeah, I know. that's about a couple of CF kids. Um, so that was really neat that we got a lot of good notoriety there because, uh, cystic fibrosis is a rare disease. There's only 70,000 people in the world with the disease 70,000 yeah in so the world. Wow. yeah so to qualify as a rare disease it's like a couple hundred thousand so we are we're pretty small uh so that was cool and then just in the past couple months a new a medicine has come out uh it's actually the third generation of this medicine but it is this close to a functional cure so a cure is you take a shot or you take a pill and you're done. The disease is gone. We're not anywhere near there. A functional cure is kind of like diabetes. If you manage your blood sugars, you will not have the effects of diabetes. It is, there's a functional cure for it, essentially. Mm -hmm. So uh, the foundation has funded research for decades. And this three pills a day makes that mucus go away the mucus that clogs the lungs, that covers the digestive system that causes all that problem, it, in some patients, it is disappearing. So three pills a day instead of 32 a day, right. plus the vest and the breathing treatments. Uh, I will be able to take that medicine. Being 50, my lungs have taken a bit of a beating, so I won't get the big bump like the younger kids, yeah. but it could halt the disease in its spot. Yeah. So I'll start that as soon as it's approved through insurance. But that's what we've been fighting for, right? This, all the running, all the therapy, all getting my head straight made this possible. Yeah. If I would have given up as a kid or in my 20s or in my 30s, I wouldn't get this opportunity, which is the biggest opportunity of all, right? Yeah. I enjoy my career success, but this is the biggest opportunity. Yeah. And to have raised money all those years, it's been, it's such a reward.
And I imagine that you must be a poster child for the for the illness at this point. I mean, <clears throat> like if I'm if I'm listening to this and I happen to know someone who knows someone or just know someone, uh, I want them to listen to this because that's the inspiration. I want their parents to listen to it. I want the kid to listen to it. I want the person going. You know what I mean? Um, because I think it should give them new, uh, you know, a new outlook. It should. And I was actually a poster child. <laughs> so I had, I had platinum blonde hair. I was, uh, Larry Wilson was a car- football Cardinal player. And I'm sitting on his lap as this little kid in 1974. Right. And the life expectancy is probably six or seven. I, w- I, wish, I wish Larry Wilson was alive and I could sit on his lap right now. Wouldn't that be amazing? So, yeah, I would, I want parents to know to, to never sink to that lower expectation to never, never let their kid ride, take the easy ride that doesn't serve them. And this is with CF or not, yeah. right? Have high demands of your kids, but let them know you believe in them, right? You can have high expectations of the people you lead, Jeff, on your team, mm-hmm. uh, all the real estate agents out there, uh, all the team leaders have high expectations. But the key to that is the person you're leading needs to know you believe in them because we beat ourselves up. So if your leader believes in you, well, then that's some magic. There's there's a book called Grit. And Dr. Duckworth outlines that idea of high expectation, high belief. Hmm. It's pretty amazing. Grit. Grit, the power of passion and perseverance. She's a positive psychologist as well. Awesome. Which, which is again, led you to where you are today now, which is uh, the live bold coaching. And you were telling me a little bit about this before we got started today, which is the, the, the power of a gratitude mindset, right? So, um, and you touched on this a little bit, but, but dive just a little bit deeper into that as we finish up and then uh, we'll let people know how they can find you. So as, as I was looking for a way to serve people beyond the stage, so I'm a speaker and people always say, Oh my God, I don't have what you have. And then they'll share their, challenge with me. And years back, I could only be encouraging. I I didn't know how to get in there with them long-term and support them through that challenge. And it felt a little empty, right? I felt like I was just a speaker and I couldn't really get in there. So I started looking for a way to help folks and they didn't need therapy because they weren't suffering an illness. They just didn't know what to do, right? And they were a little lost and didn't know the best parts of themselves. And that's what coaching does. It helps identify the best parts of ourselves, get, get focused on good stuff, that positive goal instead of the avoidance, all kinds of things. Uh, so, but I was looking for a way to coach that wasn't mysterious, right? I, I know a lot of coaches and I, what they're doing is mysterious to me. I see it working in other people. It's just mystery to me. So I had to find my thing because I knew there are lots of other people who found that other stuff mysterious. So what I found was coaching informed by positive psychology. So there's this whole field of psychology and they are studying what's right with us instead of studying what's wrong with us. So a successful guy like Jeff Fitzer, who's healthy and happy and has a good family life and creating success, what is that guy doing with his inner workings? And can we get that to others. So one of the very foundational tools of positive psychology, and I'll share it because it's not a mystery, is gratitude. 
So it makes sense. Hey, if I'm thankful for something, I can appreciate it and uh, might even, I can even be thankful for a tough situation, which is where I got with CF. I said, God, thanks for CF because it has changed my life in revolutionary ways. Glad I'm not dead, but I don't know if I would have done the things I would have done, did without CF kind of in the background. And that totally changed my life. Like literally changed, like, oh, I'm thankful for this. Holy cow. So uh, Dr. Martin Seligman is the father of positive psychology. And in, in his gratitude exercise, he would say, write down three things a day that you're thankful for and why they happened. And that was the kicker. I'd never seen a gratitude exercise like that. You are teaching yourself how to get more of the things you're thankful for by saying, I'm thankful for the podcast today. It happened because I gave a speech and made a connection with Jack. And that happened because I ran. And that happened because right, you can go sure. deep with it. Yeah. And so I'm teaching myself how to get more of this good thing and to be happy and successful. Now that they're studying more and more of gratitude, they actually know it helps motivate you. So they, you know, being social scientists, they put people in a lab and they had a control group, an experimental group, and they were all assigned the same task. And the experimental group was asked to do the gratitude exercise before doing the tasks. And those people who, who did a gratitude exercise engaged in the task with more excellence and more perseverance. Like they did it quicker, better, and longer than the folks who just started. And I didn't, I didn't know that gratitude was that powerful, but this is the cool thing about being engaged in the positive psychology world and coaching. I get to learn instead of being uh, leading with guilt, shame, and fear, you can lead with pride, gratitude, and compassion and pride and self, right? I'm obviously very proud of my accomplishments. And when I think about them, I want to do better, right? I want to, oh man, it felt good to take all of that medicine. Felt really good to do that. I'm going to do more of it versus I suck at taking medicine. I'm a terrible medicine taker. I should do it and beat myself up. Yeah. Very different results. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. That's powerful. And so as it relates, and I, I don't think you, I, I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this question. So I'm curious to hear what your answer is, but as it results or as it, as it equates to, to salespeople, right? Um, and we're talking about real estate agents, mortgage professionals, titles, title salespeople, it, you know, in our world, people think the traditional coaches, right? They think about, and you may not even know this, but the, the, the Ferry Brothers or Brian Buffini, and they're, they're traditional real estate coaches. But when it comes to, you know, every individual, there's, there's literally, you know, almost 3 million real estate professionals across USA and Canada. And uh, so when it comes to coaching, what is you know one most the most profound piece of advice that you can give to an agent um, as to what they should be looking for in their coaching? Because some might be tactical, some might be accountability, and some might be they just need to get inside and kill those inner demons, right? Um, so what's what's a one piece of advice from now your experience um, as a coach that you can give to uh, to a real estate professional? I think you need maybe a couple coaches, and they, it's not forever. Every I've sold in a few different industries and they're different sales processes, selling hotel rooms 
and selling coaching is real different, right? It's basically the same, like get to the pain and all that, but the processes can be different. And um, so get a coach who knows those processes so you can get real efficient at that. And then a performance coach. You can know the processes. You can know intellectually what will make you successful, uh, but engaging in those is a very different set of skills when it comes to coaching. So uh, we, uh, I, you know, as a director of sales, so I had people I, I was leading, and they knew how to sell hotel rooms. They just didn't, or didn't do it as well as they could. So um, what what I do is a as a performance coach is get into those wants instead of shoulds. Yeah, uncover some of those little demons that would keep us from our own success. It could be just a little bit of self-doubt. Like, I don't know if I'm a good salesperson and, or man, I, this cold calling is hard and it's really not really hard. It's just effort. You know, how to make those little micro shifts instead of, I have to be a totally different person. In reality, we all have this great ability to be salespeople and successful. We just have to tap into us. One of my early mistakes as a, a guy in sales was I had to be like that guy because he was super successful. So I got to be like him. Mm-hmm. It was the worst thing because I, I wasn't like him. When I found me, that, that's where the magic happened. I liked some things he was doing, but I had to do it in my way. And I had to find my, my motivation, that third tier motivation that would make you maybe work some long hours, but not feel the suffering of it. Make the cold calls, make all the relationships that are a take effort, but you don't feel suffering from it because you're locked into something important and meaningful. Right. It's awesome. Okay, so uh, we're running out of time here. I think we're going on an hour. Uh, So I want uh, our audience to know how they can befriend you, which, by the way, we're going to I'm going to add you to Lab Code Agents um, just so I can tag you in some posts. And of course, if anybody wants to talk to you, uh, but what how can they find you? So what's the what's the best way to get a hold of you or the ways to get a hold of you or find you? You know, coaching is such a personal experience. I always want to talk with folks, whether it turns into uh, a relationship, a, a professional relationship or not, uh, talking is the best way. It's so personal, the experience. So they can call 314-283-5985. That's my cell phone number. If if they just want to kind of get my vibe, you know, the vibe I'm putting out, I'm on Facebook. It's Live Bold with Michael Burke, Live Bold with Michael Burke. And I don't have a little bit more of that personal side, that personal coaching and, and things like that. The uh, and then on the professional side, it'll be LinkedIn, and that's uh, Michael Patrick Burke Live Bold. And your personal Facebook page, it's it's Michael P. Michael P. Yeah, um, P is a P as a P is in Patrick. Patrick. Michael Patrick. The reason that everything's Michael Patrick Burke, like my website, there are a dozen Michael Burks who are internationally known. Hmm. So I had to throw in the Patrick. Nice. Well, <laughs> yeah. I feel like you probably are too. Uh, someday. <laughs> that would be really cool to have that kind of impact. This is awesome. So uh, one last question. You know, you just, uh, you did 3,000 um, biking miles. What's next? Well, I'm in great shape. 
my lungs are as good as they can be. My belly's squared away. Uh, but 3,000 miles was a big time in, I'm trending toward not having that kind of time. So I thought, what's exciting? There's a bicycle ride in Colorado. It's called the Triple Bypass. And it's 120 miles over three mountain passes. They're all over 10,000 feet. So I can't do 120 miles in a day. So I've got a couple of friends who maybe want to do it over three days. Awesome. Right? That's just what my body can do. I, I don't need, Actually, I don't even know if I can do it anymore. But that's what I'm working toward. So I signed up for a gym this week. I need to get my legs stronger. So I need to build some muscle. I get to start this new medicine. Hopefully that'll clear things out. And so now I get to focus on something exciting, something meaningful, because I'm going to be sharing it with the cystic fibrosis community. You know that. And uh, it's a tough challenge goal. I love it. Well, you are an absolute inspiration. We are rooting for you. This is so much fun. I'm glad we've gotten to know each other. And uh, thank you for sharing today. And uh, if anybody wants to get a hold again, uh, go find them on Facebook. Live Bold with Michael Burke, Michael P as in Patrick Burke. Um, or you can find him on LinkedIn as well. And he gave his cell phone number. So, um, you know, that's, that's powerful. So I really appreciate you being on today. It was great to sit here live with you and interact. And um, I look forward to watching the next. You know, we probably should do something together. I know, right? <laughs> uh, so I think I think that might just have to happen. So again, thank you so much. And uh, we're looking forward to a big 2020. And uh, you and I continuing to do this every single year. Right? Yeah, yeah. I love it, man. Thanks, yeah. thank Thanks you very Jeff. much. Welcome Agents Podcast.